a lot of this journey is dependent on how we feel like the our state of mind and just getting through those hurdles takes a lot of mental training and awareness of how we feel and those emotions that come along with it. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We're back with Stephanie, young investor, and this is part two of our mini series um, that kind of goes through her journey of going from being a complete neophyte to somebody who's closed on their first investment property. So in our last episode, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the initial phase in which um, Stephanie and her partner were like in the YouTube reading phase and then how they moved to the let's get out of our apartment and get into the networking space, start meeting some people. And then what we're going to talk about today is the transition to a higher level of commitment, let's say, where they start putting down some money for paid events and where um, they start to develop a team that can help them invest. But so Stephanie, do you want to just like give our audience, you've already introduced yourself before, but like shout out, um, maybe position us where we are in the in the dialogue. Hi, Terry. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, I'm just here today because I wanted to share my experience and I hope I can at least motivate one person in your audience to take the next step and maybe find some relatability in my story because I'm not that far into my journey. And I don't know, I've just tried to get over the little hurdles and I want to share that experience and yeah, motivate and encourage people to do the same and not get bogged down by all the negativity that they hear or, well, negativity that they hear externally or internally. So definitely. And to kind of uh, break up into steps, maybe the tendency like in the industry to, you know, I know for sure on the podcast, we have a lot of, you know, very advanced investors or experts on the show. Um, and the fact of like going through somebody's step by step journey of how they got started will hopefully demystify that process for people who are really in the beginning phases. So in the last show, uh, we talked, we kind of stopped uh, at the point where you guys were getting comfortable going to networking events. And then what happened that made you want to take the next step? What seemed like the logical next step? And then what happened that made you want to pay for some training? Okay. Um, I think we kind of fell into it. Um, I didn't plan on paying for training just because I was, well, we're a little bit frugal and stingy sometimes, but someone that I'd met at your networking event had mentioned that there was this multifamily training. It's a, It was a full weekend boot camp. And we were really hesitant. We we're like, oh, we have plans with friends. Like, do we really want to miss out on that for some real estate? And in the end, we're like, okay, let's do it. Like, if we want to get to where we want to be, we need to take these sacrifices or make these sacrifices. And we bit the bullet. It was $200 a person, which I feel like is a lot, even though I know that there's trainings that are much more expensive. But I was like, okay, like, $200 divided by two days, it's $100 a day. If it's eight hours a day, I'm just, I was literally doing the math down to the hour to see if it was worth it. And so, yeah, we bit the bullet. We went. Um, we just felt like it was something that we had to do if we wanted to move forward. Um, we It was kind of a compromise because we didn't want to pay for the $5,000 or $10,000 trainings at this point. And we had already been spending the like $30 it is to go to the networking events. So it was a kind of a compromise. It was the next step in uh, in this journey. Um, yeah. How was it? <laughs> Good. 
surprisingly, um, I don't know, I didn't get from it what I thought I would get from it. It was fun because it exposed me to new people um, outside of the networking space, the network that I'd already created from the Real Estate Investors Club network, um, networking event. So I got to meet new people. I learned a lot from those people, actually. There were some periods during the day where it was like break time and I got to talk to them. And a lot of them were talking about how they invested outside of the province or outside of their hometown. And that was something that always scared me. And the fact that I encountered so many people that had done that, that gave me the confidence to start looking elsewhere. And I realized it wasn't as impossible as I originally thought. What I did leave with from the presenter wasn't much in terms of practical information. I felt like it was a huge pitch to like pay for the $16,000 program that came along with it. So I was a little bit disappointed by that. But I think the most valuable thing that I took away from it was the motivation that he left us with. Um, So I'm grateful for that. At least I got something from the event. And just being there made me realize that I think this was the wake up call that made me realize it's a lot of this journey is dependent on how we feel like the our state of mind and just getting through those hurdles takes a lot of mental training and awareness of how we feel and those emotions that come along with it. So I definitely left with that lesson learned. What made that the light bulb come on for you? The mental, the the, like realizing how much of it is mental? Because he just made it, the way he had set up the course, or at least the first day was a lot of like, what do you think you can achieve? And he did like some exercises where we would just write down like, double our goal and then we quadrupled quadrupled our goal and just having it written down like it just empowered us to feel like we can do so much more and that whole exercise and the whole exercise that he made us do made me feel like I can do so much more and that it's really how we think about it we set our own limitations at the end of the day like if I'm if I can constantly tell myself oh I can't do it like how will I ever get there I'm never gonna get there like I have to actually believe that I can do something that that it's going to be a long, tough journey, but we're going to get there. And even if I don't reach my goal, like that's okay because I'll still be a few steps ahead of where I was before. And that was very comforting and reassuring. Um, Yeah. So that really set off the light bulb. And we left that weekend feeling super motivated and just felt like we can do anything. And even though we didn't leave with a lot of knowledge, theoretical knowledge of real estate and real estate investing, we at least left with that next little push that we needed to get to the next step of the journey. Uh So I'm going to just like pull on that a little bit because I think this is one of these things that I think we are referring to as limiting beliefs, right? And I think that like one of the first things that people do on a success journey, because like ultimately you're living a success journey through the vehicle of real estate, is to start to take apart some of those limiting beliefs that that box that we believe we have to stay inside right and like i mean if if i go back to my own thought process you know when this started happening for me I, you know i was 25 and i think i grew up with these kind of blinders that you get from your community from your environment and like the feedback you get in terms of what people around you think is possible for you yeah right and so like we kind of live inside this prison and we're like oh but this is just how life is like this is just how 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 it is right and the first 
one of the first mental steps on that way is to realize, well, actually, like nobody's holding a gun to my head. Like all of these things are products of choices that I'm making or decisions that I'm making, perhaps unconsciously. But that like the first thing to crack out of that egg is I have to see the walls for what they are, which is mental constructs that are designed to keep me safe, but that ultimately are not going to lead me to live my full potential. Yeah, I think that's great that you guys had that experience. The other thing I want to just say a few words about um, selecting training. And if you like have not if you if you're not a part of the industry, maybe you you don't understand how this works. And so I'm just going to kind of break it down for people who are in that phase where they want to uh, pay for training, but maybe want to be a bit vigilant about what they get sucked into. Right. So basically, like as somebody who's in the coaching industry, like we sell coaching, I I know how how this works. And I'm going to break it down for you so that you guys can kind of make an informed decision. So usually when you're structuring a coaching program, uh, we have what's called like a value ladder. OK, and so you'll have um, an entry level product, which is like, you know, $20, $30 product, be it a networking event, a book, uh, an online course, maybe even a freebie, like a lot of things in exchange for your email address, you'll get a free gift, right? So, you know, a free ebook or something like that that brings you into the ecosystem and then puts you in touch with the coach or the organization's marketing. And then the the way the marketing is structured is that it's supposed to move you sort of up the value hierarchy. And so very often there's like the, you know, the free product to get your email address, to get you into the ecosystem. There's the $20, $30 product to have you as a client. That's And the goal of those products is to move you up the value ladder. And so like for you in your perspective, 200 bucks for a weekend, it seems like a lot of money. Honestly, in the coaching world, it's peanuts. Like two full days of training for $200 is nothing. And so when you as a client or as somebody who's approaching this sees that, your reaction should be, okay, if I'm going to be paying something that's too cheap for what it is, like honestly, a day of training should be worth minimum, minimum five, six hundred dollars, minimum. Okay. And so like if you're paying a large discounted price, what it's showing you is this is a step on the value ladder that's designed to pull me to the next level. Okay, because you're not paying the full value. And so as a result, the, the fact that you had this experience of not there was not a ton of content, there's not a ton of content because they're saving the content for the, the next year. Okay. And so like as you see this, like, you know, let's say a weekend should cost if you're going to go on a weekend thing, it should cost you a thousand bucks. Okay. If it costs less than a thousand bucks, it's because the goal of the weekend is to move you to the next step. Okay. And so like okay, you guys got some value out of it, which was essentially motivation. But what your experience was, which is to, there's not a ton of content, yeah. that's pretty common. Okay. And like, let's say even, you know, whatever, a, a three-hour online course, like the the price of an online course should be, again, 50 to 100 bucks for two to three hours worth of training. If for some reason it's like a free webinar or it's at a largely discounted amount versus the amount of time that you're going to spend, it's because it's a rung on the value ladder that's designed to move you up. And so, you know, I think as you're shopping for products and you're shopping for knowledge, you need to kind of be aware of what is the price range for the product that I'm looking at and what is the takeaway really going to be for me? Because do I want to pay, for example, $15,000 for training? Do I want to pay $5,000 for training? How What's my budget for this? And so, you know, to kind of intentionally sit down and be like, okay, if my goal is to spend $200 and to get the maximum out of this, 
maybe I need to be really intentional about where I put that money. And so like my goal is not to say, oh, you need to buy a $5,000 coaching. That happens to be the price tag on our coaching, right? <laughs> um, on our top tier level thing. But, you know, my advice would be be intentional about what it is that you're buying and understand what is the price bracket for that thing. So I'll give you another example. Like one of the value ladder hierarchy things can be like a mastermind. OK, and so that's then some kind of interactive coaching where like there's a weekly call or you're part of something like if you become part of a paid mastermind and it's like a yearly service or something. You're looking at somewhere between, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars to be on a weekly call with people for a certain amount of time. If for some reason it's less than that, there's some kind of an upsell there that's trying to move you to a higher level. And like the cheaper the initial offers are, the more expensive the big ticket item is going to be. And so like okay. my advice would be if you're looking to pay for training, there's a, a sign of an organization's uh, like let's say honesty or integrity or how much value you're getting out of each product is that the prices tag should be in line with what you're purchasing. So familiarize yourself with what is the price tag that is supposed to be associated with this amount of coaching. Like if it's an online course and you're for three hours and you're buying it for a dollar, something's not right. If it's a, a two-day training and it costs 200 bucks, that's also not the right price. And so by understanding like what is the sort of the spread of how much this should be worth that's going to allow you to know like am I even investing this time appropriately because like sure it costs a dollar but like if it's worth a dollar do you really want to invest those three hours in that it's true yeah yeah you're right um part of I don't know maybe not to defend myself I just feel like it's a lot of money like the five thousand dollar course if you're not already in the game and I know a lot of people say like if you're going to spend $100,000 on a down payment, why can't you spend $5,000 on your training? But I just feel like so many people spend that money because they think it's the magic ticket to get started. But I kind of wanted to purchase a property first to show or like to prove to myself that I'm in it. You know, like once I'm in it, it seems backwards, but that was just my thought process because I wanted to make sure I was committed before I would spend the $5,000. It's not that I'm scared to spend it. I just wanted to make sure that I was that that I'm going to take it seriously, that I'm going to actually apply what I end up learning. So I don't know. Maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Is that mm -hmm. is that backwards thinking? Is that reasonable? Like, do you see a lot of people taking this course and just not doing anything with it? Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's very legitimate. I think um, I just want to like back up a little bit and say like uh, maybe what my goal with what I was saying before is more that you as the consumer who is listening to this, who's maybe a neophyte trying to find their way through all the stuff that's on offer. I want you to understand this value hierarchy, this value ladder thing and not get trapped by it. Like yeah. me as the person who's sitting behind the curtain, I don't want you spending your down payment money on coaching that's not good for where you are. I don't want you spending, you know, two, three days of your time 
uh, I'm going to say wasted time, but I don't want you to invest that because time is money, right? Like if you yeah. time, you're not spending on something else. So before you, you know, look, see see something that's very a discounted price, like just understand what's going on so that even yeah. mentally, if you do end up in that room, you can defend yourself against the upsell and not be the person who runs to the back of the room and be like, oh, yeah, you know, I want to put down my down payment money like on $15,000 worth of coaching. Right. So mm-hmm. so it's it's not it's not at all to like sort of criticize your your journey. It's more to that. I just want to pull back the curtain and that people who are listening yeah. to this understand the way this is structured, because ultimately coaching things are a business. And so they're structured in a specific way. And if you want to make an intelligent purchasing decision, my goal is not to say don't do or don't purchase coaching. I just want you to understand that like if you're going to go into a, a store to like buy a car, understand that there's a sales process and the selling person who's selling the car is trying to move you through that sales process. Just be aware of what it is, right? Yeah. First of things being backwards, like, you know, I have this conversation in a different context a lot with people who are like, oh, you know, school or university is like a universal good, right? Mm-hmm. You have to go get a bachelor's degree. You then if you're done, go get a master's. And like it's it's a good with a capital G. And my thing is, no, you know, training or education is useful when it's useful and when it's used strategically. So, yes, I see lots of people who, you know, pay for coaching and then do absolutely nothing with it. Um, I, I, I don't have statistics off the top of my head, but like us as coaches, like we kind of think it's about a 50 percent rate. Right. Like half the people who come through an expensive coaching program will run out and make an offer the first week and follow every single step we say. And the other half will just analysis paralysis be in the room and their attendance will slip as the program moves forward and they and they're not taking any steps. So definitely like it's not a guarantee. And I think in, in, in a sense, it can even be a bit of an excuse. Right. Like there are conference junkies or coaching junkies who just pay for coaching, pay for coaching, pay for coaching. It's like paying a gym gym membership and not going it's like you think that by paying for the gym membership, you're going to get one close, one step closer yeah. fit. No, it's actually use the gym membership. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> exactly. Um, and so like, you know, if, if there's one other thing to say as far as like, you know, everybody's journey is different. And, you know, some people never pay for training. Some people pay for training right up front. Um, I think that how one should look at that is just that this is the right training at the right time is like condensed knowledge that will save you time. And so if there is a specific thing that you're missing, uh, for example, you, you know, want more, want to learn more about multifamily financing. Well, go buy yourself a three hour online course of multifamily financing. Or, you know, there's lots of those like on a la carte trainings that you can, you know, sort of purchase individually. And I would say, like, be strategic about where are you in your journey and what do you need today? Like, what do you need to take the next step? Um, and that that can then guide your purchasing de- decisions. And obviously, like, you know, there's a balance between the school of life and something that you can learn in a classroom or theoretically or from a book. And I think that the the fastest way to springboard yourself is some mix of both, because mm-hmm. you can't learn everything from books. Um, you do need some on the ground experience, but you can do something on the ground for 10 years and not advance as fast as somebody else because you're just missing like the very simple cookie cutter things that like every game like real estate it's a system relationships are a system like human relationships are a system fitness is a system healthy eating is a system real estate is a system and the more you understand the rules of that system the better you're going to be and the quicker you're going to be able to uh, interact with it in a way 
that allows you to get what you want. And so, you know, at a certain point, it makes sense for like, let me grapple with this by myself on the ground for a while. And then, no, I've been at this like plateau for too long. If I want to move to the next level and I don't want it to take me 10 years, let me pay for some knowledge or pay for some mentorship that's going to allow me to like move up to the next step in an accelerated manner. And so like with that mindset, you know, be aware that in the industry, like there's a, there's a lot of money to be made from coaching, especially from, you know, maybe people who are well off or who who can be sort of I say manipulated is a bad word, but like who can be encouraged to sign over a lot of money because there is a lot of fear involved. And it's a, a kind of a way to be like, well, someone's going to hold my hand. Maybe I'm going to make less mistakes, maybe. But just be aware that there, that there is this, uh, you know, kind of thing of, you know, selling stuff. And then and then do you really need that? Do you really need that now? Do you need that big of a car or do you just need a 10 year old Toyota to get you from <laughs> point A to point B? <laughs> yeah. It's true. So that was, I mean, that was, a, 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 we went on a, a pretty long speed tour. <laughs> um, I, I think let's move out of the the education space and talk about team building a little bit. So after yeah. you guys went to the two-day seminar, you, I think, started approaching networking a little bit with like a team building mindset. Do you want to tell me how that happened for you? Um, so I think it was more separate. I think we had that motivation from the two-day training that we had done and we just realized that the next step is to actually make some contacts that were actually going to be part of our team like a real estate agent or a broker for mortgages getting pre-approved. I even thought that at that point I needed to start looking for inspectors and and notaries but I came to realize that stuff comes when you need them much later on. Um, so part of what I realized is that it's okay to not work with the first person that you find necessarily. So for example, we were working with a real estate agent that we really liked, like we liked his personality, we liked um, what he was promising us. But then as the weeks went by, we just felt like we weren't aligned anymore. And it was kind of hard to have that conversation, like breaking up with him and saying, like, we're not, we don't feel like we want to move forward with you. It has nothing to do with you, just the way that that we are, you know, kind of felt like it's not you, it's me. Um, and I just wanted to say that that's fine. It's scary. But like, as long as you approach it with a very professional, um, I don't know, what would you say? Like, just approach it professionally, like no harm's done. We still have a really good relationship with that guy. And I wouldn't say anything bad about him. It's just for us and, and who we are, it just didn't work out. Um, so yeah, don't be afraid to let go of some people that you thought you were going to initially work with. Well, tell me a little bit more about those like those those initial team members that you felt like you needed, because I think this is also something where, um, you know, people attend two day seminars or, or you know, three day seminars. And then they're like, OK, I need to build a team. I need a notary. I need a tax accountant. I need to incorporate. <laughs> I need to do this. Da, 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 da. And like in reality, that's much more complicated than maybe what you need to to take the first step. So what did you find were those first contacts that were very useful as you were going through the beginning of the of the process? Yeah, first contacts um, was definitely a real estate agent and a mortgage broker or a mortgage specialist that was able to give us a pre-approval. Um, we did look into accountants because we were wondering if we should incorporate or not. We probably called a few and met with a couple of them. And we just realized that um, we didn't need them at that phase of the process and what we were like to be able to reach out to those accountants what we were doing basically everyone we spoke to would be like do you have any references 
So that's another tip that I can give is just don't just go on Google, find people at the networking events, get some references and just call as many people as possible. Um, but yeah, definitely a real estate agent to help you find properties and the broker so you can get your pre-approval so you can actually put down an offer. Those were the two most important um, ones. And the other ones were just um, the notary when it actually came to buying and the inspection when it came to doing the inspection. I realized that those are a lot easier to find than um, a real estate agent or the bank specialist that you need a bit more of a relationship with or to build that relationship with them. Um, yeah, I think I think you're I think you're absolutely right. And I think you're also right. Um, maybe what's buried in there that you haven't articulated is, all, you know, in terms of the breakup conversation is um, so the amount of the percentage of real estate brokers who are familiar of working with investors is actually very small. And like, I don't have the statistics at the top of my tongue, but I know I looked at it at a certain point. It's something like, I think it's like three or 5% of brokers work with investors. And incidentally, for any brokers listening to this, um, they end up servicing 30 to 50% of the business. Because when you work with investors, like though you need mu much fewer relationships because that's repeat business. Whereas like somebody who works on a single family home needs a high volume of single family homes to stay floating. But that that's another conversation for another time. Um, but that if your goal is to be like to 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 build an, an investment portfolio, however small, even if it's a condo, working with a broker who understands the logic of investment is absolutely crucial. And the reality is that like once you start your journey, like every broker will sort of pretend or like, you know, they've all everybody's sold an investment property once in a while. So they feel like they know what they're talking about. But the number of agents who actually really have that knowledge in a solid way who can help you read and understand leases, um, understand everything that has to do with tenants, take you through financial projections, understand um, even, let's say, the type of mortgage or how you need to structure your financing to be able to like then think about what's going to be next for me, right? Like, how can I set this up so that um, it's not going to be one building, it's going to be two buildings and in three years time, da, da, da. Like, if you control for those variables, you will find, have a higher percentage chance to find someone who's actually familiar with investment real estate. And like, this is a, a thing that we, you know, on the inside side of the, of the industry see all the time, you know, like I'll get stuck on a transaction with like a broker who's like never read a lease before. And, <laughs> you know, they're trying to help their clients as best they can. But the fact is, unless you are a professional who works with leases and understand like, you know, the towel or like the, you know, the, the tenancy codes inside and out, you're actually not helping your client. And so as you're going through those, looking through for those those connections initially, um, definitely try to find people who are familiar working with investors. And after that, they, you can know there can be personality conflicts or not. Maybe, you know, don't be afraid to break up with someone for like personality reasons as well, but like definitely by controlling for people who work with investors. And this is where the networking is super important because everybody there who's purchased something probably worked with a professional and they will have references for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so true that you said someone might deal with a few um, invest, have sold a few investment properties and suddenly they're calling themselves um, investment real estate brokers because that's kind of the trap that we fell in. We spent hours with the first broker and he kept on saying, I'll teach you about this stuff. I'll teach you how to analyze a property. And we spent hours and I don't feel like I got anything out of it. It just kind of felt like a waste of time because he didn't know exactly what what I wanted to learn. Um, yeah. So I think that's yeah. uh, 
that's so true. I fell fell for that trap. It's hard to find. Like you said, it's a very small percentage of brokers that do have that knowledge. Yeah, I know. And there's also like, you know, understanding how pro- different professionals get paid. And I think then we're going to you know have to wrap this up because we're <laughs> yeah. kind of working over time. But, you know, another if I could pull back the curtain kind of in another way, like understanding how professionals make money helps you understand what their incentives are. And I think like, you know, brokers, brokers want to do a deal. And so I don't want to eat, you know, make it sound manipulative that they're misrepresenting themselves, that they have knowledge that they pretending to you, they have knowledge that they don't have. But it's like you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, for me, like for, you know, at the beginning of my career, like when I was brokering deals, I worked on all sorts of things and I sold chalets with septic fields and I had no idea what I was doing. I sold things that built on like Dalle de Beton. I have no idea what that implied for the chalet that was built on top of it. And like now I have the intelligence that when someone approaches me to like purchase a chalet, I'm like, no, like, let me refer you to this person who's a specialist of like the Laurentians or who's a specialist of the Eastern Townships because like, I don't have that knowledge. Right. But I think that's with, you know, 15 years of maturity and being at a certain place in your business where you feel like I'm just going to not serve my clients properly if I do that. And so like now I work on very specific things and I refer out for other things. But most agents and most agents are in the first five years of their career are not necessarily going to say no to business because they see the 2% commission check coming their way. And they're like, oh, how hard can it be? Like, I can read, a, I can sell a triplex. Like, it's no problem. <laughs> yeah. no. And I think that's where your network comes in handy. Like you said, you just ask for someone for contacts and they'll be able to refer you to someone. I think that was really important. Absolutely. So before we go on for too long, did you want to maybe take us through any of like the mental or emotional aspects you you had to this like team building phase of of what you were doing? Yeah, kind of. Well, the biggest mental hurdle was breaking breaking up with that uh, the first uh, mortgage real estate broker. It was stressful and I felt like Oh, like if I tell him I don't want to work with him, like he's going to hate me. And it's not it's not about me. It's it's business. At the end of the day, if he's not going to serve my needs, then I need to tell him that. And and in the end, the conversation went really well. But um, I think you just can't let that hold you back. And yeah, other than the stress of facing that conversation, just you just have to do it. Um, if I can maybe give you give you a little prompt, um, you know, I think there was also this aspect of the fact that working with a real professionals who are used to closing deals, I think maybe gave you an additional little push um, to feel like you have to now now your back's to the wall. So maybe you want to say a few words about that. Um, sorry, can you? Yeah, like like that that be, by the time you started working with professionals and like kind of using their services, using their time, it created an additional incentive for you to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because once I started creating that network, you feel like you're, this is their full-time job, right? Like you don't want to get in their way from making a living and they still need to feed their family too. And it kind of pushes you as an investor to move forward and you kind of get yourself not stuck in that situation, but now you're being held accountable because someone else is on the line. And yeah, and that's also why I felt like it was hard to tell him, like, I don't want to move forward with you because we had spent so much time together. Now he's going to lose a sale on us. And yeah, that stressed me out because I didn't I didn't want to get in his way. But yeah. Yeah. No, that's I mean, that's a tough thing just about about how the industry works. Right. Is that like and mortgage brokers and real estate brokers are paid on commission. And so there's this kind of like weird sense of obligation that once you've yeah. taken up their time, 
um, you know, you kind of owe them something. But I think as the person on the receiving end of that, um, you know, it's like our job as, as professionals, first of all, to assess our clients and be like, okay, well, who do I think I'm wasting time with? Who do I think I'm not wasting time with? And then there's just, you win some, you lose some. Like if 50% of the work you do ends up being paid work and 50% of the of the work is unpaid work. Well, if you look at the size of the commission check, like those commission checks are calibrated for a bit of time wasting. And so like, even if he didn't make money with you, you know, he made 10K off his next sale. And so yeah. 5K to the time he spent with you, 5K to the time he spent with someone else. Like that's yeah. just kind of how. And then when you, when you get into that profession, like, you know, that's how you're going to get paid. And so, it, you know, as long as you're professional about it, like, you know, don't, yeah. don't waste, don't waste people's time beyond which, you know, you're not going to deal with them. But, but after that, you don't owe them anything. So. Yeah. And I think um, that stress, like it did, as much as I did experience that stress, something that did push me forward to being honest with him was because I didn't want to waste his time. And I feel like I didn't want to put on that facade that I was interested in working with him and I didn't want to waste his time. So I think it's also a matter of um, like honesty and respect as well for his time. And yeah, that that pushed me forward too. which was just trying to not play around with him too much. <laughs> yeah, well, well I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I had similar experiences early on, early on in my career where I had to like break up with back then there was a lot more slimy agents and like breaking up with a slimy agent is like harder than breaking up with the more professional agents today. They're still going to call you back. They just show up outside your house like God knows what. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's definitely that's that's a, a universal of the uh, of the industry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. So moral of the story, just chase it and don't waste anyone's time. And you can still maintain professional relationships with them. And maybe we'll cross paths again. Like maybe he just didn't deal well with beginner investors. Like I was saying, I didn't feel like he was able to teach me what I wanted to know. But down the line, once I already know that stuff, maybe he'll be a great partner to work with just starting off. But it, it, just, it just didn't work. Great. Uh, okay, so by way of segue, I think we're, we we covered what, the ground that that I wanted to cover in this in this epi second episode. Um, do you want to just give us a little preview? Like, what was the next step for you on your journey without giving away the punchline? Yeah, the next step of the journey was actually starting to look for properties. We had looked previously just, oh, what's on Centris? Let's go see. Can we afford this? Can we not? But it it's just a different ball game when you actually start looking and it's real and you're doing the analyses and this could potentially be the property that you're buying and putting in offers. That's a different emotional roller coaster and having them get rejected. And yeah, that's that's the next step. OK, well, so guys, tune in if you if you're enjoying this uh, journey that we're going on with Stephanie, you know, share um, share with friends who are starting out so that they can see get some insight into what you know, what the step by step looks like and then tune in to the next episode to hear about looking, crunching the first deals and uh, throwing out some offers. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.